Well, welcome into another episode of Breakthrough Chronicles. And, you know, it's the great thing about having your own show is you get to choose the people that come on the program. And I have been looking forward to having our next guest now for quite some time. And uh, without further ado, I want to welcome good friend, longtime colleague, and just an unbelievable human being here to Breakthrough Chronicles, Rex Chapman. Buddy, good to see you, brother. Thanks for having me. Well, thanks for thanks for uh, oh. sharing some of your time with us. I know it, it is it is that time of it's year for, time of for year. all of us. But anything for you, buddy. It, it's an exciting time of year. Yes, because you know this time of year rolls around and and the adrenaline starts pumping a little bit harder. And, and I know for you, guy who played in the league for yeah. so many years, played at a high level, it's got to feel even even different, right? Feels great. <clears throat> uh, you know, every uh, my birthday is October fifth, so every year. Um, my whole life. That's when basketball season starts. You know, October 15th is naturally the day college used to start. Right. And that was sort of high schools could gear up then. So this time of year always reminds me football, beginning of basketball, fall. It's just a magnificent time of year. You know, I've had a chance to to know you for, gosh, it's like, 30 you know, years, we, 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 we date ourselves when we yeah. say this, but yeah, for, for 30 plus years. And I think about all the incredible memories that we've had both together, yeah. the relationships that we've been able to, to forge. And it all really comes as a result of, yeah. of this thing. Yeah. Right. This thing that has taken you all around yeah. the world and has opened doors. And, it, and it's funny, one of my other guests Ann Myers Drysdale, you might know mm -hmm. her, Hall of Famer. Sat with her yesterday. Yep. <laughs> you know, I asked her the question, and I'll pose it to you. As you sit there and you hold that, could you ever have imagined as a young boy the places that that, that object would take you? No, really, uh, I, I can't. I know that I, from the youngest age, I, my mom found a, a some, something, I guess, a, a piece of paper not long ago of – me doodling as a like a five-year-old and had learned how to spell and had misspelled i want to be the greatest basketball player in the world and <laughs> i would carve stuff into things like i was just eaten up with basketball and naively i didn't realize that if you get good enough at it it's not just the basketball you have to deal with you got to deal with the media you got to deal with uh, people knowing who you are. And I think I was wired pretty well to play basketball, but maybe not to wired so well to handle all of the other stuff that goes along with it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and you know, I, I think for all of us, you know, we, we don't get to choose where we're born. Right. Right. But once you are born, wherever that mm -hmm. is, you know, the clock starts. Yeah. And in some ways your, <clears throat> your life's GPS and roadmap begins yeah. to, to get carved out. Mm-hmm. You just happen to be born in one of the hotbeds yeah. of basketball. Um, for many people, they believe it is the center yeah. of basketball. All apologies to those of you <laughs> to in everywhere North Carolina. Else. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, you were born there, Bowling Green, Kentucky. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you, you shared those memories. What what were your first memories of the, the game mm -hmm. of, of basketball? Yeah, so... I grew up and my dad, my dad played, he played at, uh, he went to Kentucky and his dad got, um, Lou Gehrig's disease before it was called that. So he, he moved back home, transferred to Western Kentucky 
had a terrific career there and then played in the ABA. Um, so my first memories were of, I, I vaguely remember ABA games. Right. Uh, he played for the Pacers. <clears throat> and then um, my earliest memories are of being like in grade school and just die, c- couldn't wait till school ended to get the bus down the street to Apollo High School where he coached so I could watch his practices. And he had a, I would have been little, eight, nine, ten, and he had a point guard named Jeff Jones who played at Apollo, who was Ralph Sampson's point guard at Virginia, would go on to be Ralph wow. Sampson's point guard, six five point guard. My dad talked about this freshman he has every day, freshman, sophomore, Jeff Jones. He's going to be a terrific player. Those The guys on that team, Jeff Jones, Steve Barker, Doug Jones, all those guys, they were my heroes, and I I idolized them. They were my professional athletes. They were high schoolers. I remember one day coming out of, uh, uh, we had a big fifth, third grade championship game at my school. <laughs> and I got there and my dad had brought the team over there. I went out for the jump ball, threw up at midcourt. They, they mopped it up. Stopped the game. Stopped the up. game, cleaned it up. I jumped ball and I was fine. Fine. Great. Played the game. We won. Fast forward. My dad made himself throw up before every game. Every game I ever saw him coach. The, a- after this? or so? This, this is... was before this. Okay. Okay. And over time, I did the same. And it started about in high school. It was nerves. It was nerves. Uh, once I threw up, I felt great. Right. I did that all through high school, all through college, two years of college. I got into the NBA and that's throwing up 82 times a year. And I was still doing it. Uh, um, And in fact, if I didn't do it, (laughs) I would play shitty. And our trainer would come to us and be like, you need to go throw up, man. (laughs) I finally got out of it over the years. Occasionally I would though, throughout my career. Just silly nerves habit whatever it is but those that's my earliest memory and and those memories of following my dad around everywhere just watching what he did how he talked to his players um realizing how hard it was i think i also did some things you know probably as a five-year-old seeing guys dribble behind their back working on it so i knew how to do it before i knew it was hard you know, something just I had a little bit of an advantage being around basketball every day, all day. Right. It's funny, though, to hear you talk about that, how how those two things, mm-hmm. the, the, the like the visual and auditory impressions made upon you. Right. Uh, clearly before third grade, but it was your first time mm-hmm. you clearly felt this kind of external presence. Yeah. With the eyes of your father and the yeah. team, the guys that you were hoping to emulate, right. and how that would then carry over, and then the whole throwing yeah. up, yeah. And years later, and we'll talk more yeah. about this, how that impacted your life, no question, off the court, yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah. So was was it always basketball? There was never any other sport. No, that, I, I that played you even it. Considered, I, I played all the sports. In fact, I, I grew up. My first sport was swimming. I swam competitively from about age five to 10, 11. 
and I loved it. And I was, I was pretty good at it. Um, I, it's still what I do today for exercise for the most part. It feels like, don't, doesn't feel like I'm working out too much. <laughs> right. Um, but yeah, so I started competitive and that really stoked my <clears throat> competitive fire. Like I hated to lose. I cried when I lost. I, you know, it was, uh, it, it, <laughs> it was good for me because they needed me to do something. I was bouncing off the walls, just, <laughs> right. you know, I was constantly gone playing, doing something, but I played, ba I played baseball, football, uh, and basketball, you know, just jump from whatever season to whatever season. There was right. no internet. There was nothing to do. You remember that life, K. Ray? Wow. And yeah, so, I do remember yeah, that life. it was nice. <laughs> it was. And um, so I played football, but I, I was a late bloomer. I got to be around seventh grade, and I stopped playing a football. I stopped swimming because uh, <laughs> because baseball was my friends start, were starting to play little league baseball and the baseball diamond was near the swimming pool. And I start, my friends started giving me shit for wearing the speedo. They would go by and I couldn't, I couldn't stand it. And, <laughs> and I had had, uh, I came home in tears one day. I was probably seven or eight. My mom was like, what's wrong, honey? It was from swim practice. And I was just, beside myself the older girls the this high school girls were calling me sexy rexy and i just hated it and yeah. i was crying she was like no they're complex they like you they're right. and I, I i wasn't buying it that combined with my friends making fun of me i stopped swimming and went and played baseball so I kind of got shamed into playing baseball. Sure. I liked it. It was fine. I pitched and played short and I couldn't hit. Was scared, scared of the ball. Um, around seventh, eighth grade, though, I told my dad, I said, you know, I think I just want to play basketball. And I was like five, six, five, seven. He was like, are you sure? I said, yep. But I, I realized after playing it my last year of football, that I was tough enough for basketball. <laughs> right. Yeah. 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 Uh, football is fine. It's a I liked kind of hitting. Yeah. I liked hitting. I didn't like getting hit. Right. And so, but you know, you in basketball, you can fight anybody for three seconds till the ref break you up. <laughs> so yeah, that's I, I. But I played every sport. I'm a sports nut. You know, one thing to the next, and that was kind of nice too. You wouldn't play basketball for like four months, and you'd come back, and you were like two or three inches taller and it seemed easier like you got better by osmosis right <laughs> when did that growth spurt it didn't come, come in your life it didn't happen until i was uh so my freshman i always played up um, i was good enough to play up but physically i was behind it as a freshman in high school i had two my two best friends were also freshmen all three of us made the varsity team my two buddies greg bond and jeff sanford still my best buddies they started every game of high school four years they didn't play jv they didn't play freshman wow i came off the bench on the varsity team as a freshman i played in every game probably averaged 10 points or so but i played every junior varsity game and every freshman game too and so some days i was three games you say and you were yeah so I, around the clock yeah my dad was like yeah mm -hmm. it's great you made the varsity team but you need to you need to play you right. know you can't just play on the varsity and get 15 minutes here or there, go down, play in your grade level, get some confidence because you're going to get your ass kicked at the, you know, <laughs> with right. the varsity guys. 
I was about five seven as a freshman, and over that summer, three months, I was like six three. And so my athleticism started. My body was bad. My knees were bad. My back was bad. Right. I missed some games as a sophomore, but you know I jumped center, and I was uh, my athleticism started coming together. And I, I think I I got a dunk for the first time probably my sophomore year, and then it was I was off to the races. Took off. Yeah. After that. Yeah. When did you feel maybe a difference with your father because of his background? When did you feel the difference of him, like maybe recognizing the talents you have and going from being, I mean, I'm sure there was always the role of, of yeah. father coach, yeah. but when, when did you feel that like he recognizes a talent in me and, and, and then it became a real pushing to like, pull the very best out of you uh that's a hard question my dad he he um he was coaching his own team by the time i got in high school he was coaching kentucky wesleyan college the the local d2 school they had multiple national championships right. really good players that came through there and if my dad would have offered me a scholarship like when i was a freshman or sophomore i'd have gone to wesleyan like that was I wanted all I wanted was a scholarship somewhere so my parents didn't have to pay for school right you know I'd hear them at night as a little kid college is expensive and whatever mm -hmm. you know talking to one another so that was my really my only goal um <laughs> I lost my train of thought what was the question <laughs> was the just question? ask just asking oh about, my dad you know, so he was lot. gone a lot he he actually didn't I bet he didn't see me play 10 high school games because he his games yeah, coincided conflicting. right yeah um if I played well, I would get a way to go, hot shot, something like that. If I played poorly or if I didn't give effort, which was a common theme for him, right? you're playing too easy. What do you, you know, you only pick your spots when you play hard. And I did. I didn't know how hard I needed. I was doing fine. I was sure. like getting 30 a night and all that. But I'll never forget, I was a junior in high school, and I was probably, I was probably, looking back, I was probably the best player in the state at the time. I didn't know that then. But we played at Butler County, and we were supposed to win by like 30. My dad went to the game. And I probably got, had 40, 17, 18 rebounds, 10 or 11 blocks. You know, it was a game where, you know, I got on the bus afterwards, and I was like, he's going to have to love me up tonight. Like, you know. Right. And so... I got home and uh, <laughs> I walked in and he's smoking a cigarette, drinking a Coke, eating a sandwich my mom certainly fixed for him. <laughs> and I walk in, he's watching the news, open the door, crickets, nothing. I walked behind him into my mom and said, mom, what's up with him? You know, what's right. going on? She went, I don't know. I went back in, sat in his line of vision on the couch he's watching the tv <laughs> and i said finally i said what'd you think he said oh you want to know what i think and he he got up and said stand up i know i want to know when you're going to take in charge you're ever going to take a charge and he said here's how you do it he started running to my my mom comes in and said break it up break it up break it up i went upstairs she comes up about 30 minutes later and says puts her arm around me and says honey he just i said get away from me if he doesn't tell me how am i going to know and i took up for him Wow. <laughs> <laughs> so it was, you know, 
I think, I think he recognized probably in high school, mid sophomore, junior year that, you know, I, I had, uh, um, the ability, but he definitely was not going to let me, he had me perfectly wired for when I left college. He, when I left, he said, I hope they don't redshirt you this year. And I really believe that. I was going to play with and against and practice James Blackman, Ed Davin, Richard Madison. These are Winston Bennett, McDon- a team stacked with McDonald's All-Americans. Right. This was, I was going in as a 165-pound fre- freshman. Wow. And so I, it just so happened. Once I got there, I knew how to play. And that was, you know, that really got me through because physically I wasn't strong enough. Sure. But I knew how to play, you know, little making a post feed, cutting base, just that that type of stuff. So that really carried the day once I got to school. Well, and and you came with all those credentials. I mean, you know, Mr. Basketball, Kentucky. Yeah. I mean, Kentucky, Gatorade Player of the Year, All-American. Um, but it, it, it's interesting to hear you talk about that moment with your father mm-hmm. and, and how, you know, that, that dichotomy of, you you want him to to be your father yeah. to acknowledge and show you love and admiration, yeah. but yet you like you say you defend him yeah. because you so badly want his approval to correct. on the basketball court correct yeah and, and it got to there were there were times in high school you know also I'm growing up I'm you know becoming you know I, the other thing I'm becoming I mean, you're going through I'm becoming known in our in our state which was <clears throat> I was very ill prepared for that um so he, he you know he did his he did his yeah you want your dad to put put his arm around you and love you up publicly all that right he's just not that kind of guy right it's just you know it's a different generation but i gotta tell you he did i wouldn't i wouldn't trade it because he did he you know it, i think it was probably a hard job trying to keep me here Right. Well, and, and look, you know, I think we all can look back at our parents. Mm-hmm. You know, I have discussions with with my mom nowadays and, and she will apologize right. about things. We right. gosh, we, we should have done this for you. You did what you, you did, knew you at knew, that time. Yeah, they did their best. They right? had one roadmap and that was their parents. Right. We're trying to do a little bit better each generation. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So you, you talked about being recognized which is great mm. you know that you're getting that adulation publicly yeah but again you're only prepared for what you know and what the people around you know how, how did you go about dealing with that were, were there were there release valves were there friends or the people that you were I, I had a close, sharing some of those yeah i had a close group of friends in fact two of my friends when i decided to go to kentucky i grew up I committed to Louisville. I was a lifelong Louisville fan. I hated Kentucky growing up, UK. Um, I, I don't know why. Probably because everyone else liked UK. <laughs> right. And so, but I loved Denny. I, I, and that, so I spurned them at the last, very last moment and went to Kentucky. Um, what was the question? So, <laughs> 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 no, just talking about how you coped oh, yeah. with that kind of attention so, as a so 16, 17-year-old. Part of me going to Kentucky, they said, you can bring your boys. I had twins that played with me whole life growing up, football, baseball, Kevin and Keith Vanderpool. They said, you want them to come live in the lodge? I was like, yep, in Wildcat Lodge. <laughs> so they came and lived in Wildcat Lodge downstairs. Um, I had friends around. um 
my grandmother lived in Lexington, which was one of the bigger, one of the main reasons I went there. Sure. Um, you know, I could escape and get over to her place, take some teammates over to her house. She'd cook and all that stuff. So that was good. I had, I had some support, but it was also I'm 18, 19 and think I know everything. Right. You know, yeah, what 18, I think all this is doesn't. great. I don't look at it as stress or pressure or anything because I could handle the basketball stuff. Right. It was the off court stuff, the being known the, well, for instance, like high school, I was like 16 and, you know, 15 or 16 and girls, you know, you're, all this is starting to, <laughs> and, and I'm getting, you know, I'm becoming more known. I'm at our mall with our buddies in our little town of Owensboro, Kentucky. We're walking through the mall like that's what you did back in the day. Right. We, gotta, we gotta ride to the mall or maybe we drove through, the mall. Yeah, see what's going on around here. <laughs> and some a group of girls and guys from our rival high school across town, Davis County, they're coming this way. And now are you wearing the letter jacket when you nah, No, I don't okay. think so. Okay. But but I could have been. <laughs> right. We all could have been. <laughs> right. Look like the Thunderbirds or whatever <laughs> from Greece. Right. So um we're in the mall and a couple girls come over and ask me for my autograph. And I, I sign it. I just signed my name. I don't even know if I knew, I didn't even have an autograph right. at that point. And they go, okay, thanks. They walk back over their people and they hand it to a couple guys over there and they go, yo, ripped it up oh. and they cheered and my friends thought it was hilarious right i also had to laugh because it was pretty funny but on some level i well i was completely blindsided i really bought that they i thought it was weird right but i was just naive i didn't know none of us knew like so it, you know those things were really difficult to deal with because because I really never knew who liked me and who didn't like me. Right. Yeah. Well, outside of, yeah. you know, maybe signing your homework, how many? Yeah. <laughs> you, you hadn't signed exactly. too many other yeah. things before. And life, actually, right? other people should have been signing my homework. <laughs> <laughs> oh. So you get to Kentucky and take us through those, those early experiences because, I mean... <laughs> It's Kentucky. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and and you're Mr. Basketball, you're all this, but now you're stepping onto a whole nother level. Were were you overwhelmed or did you feel prepared because of the guys that you had gone up against and and were confident enough in your game? I I had well, I had as much confidence as I could have because I do feel like nobody had worked any harder than I had. I, I, I made a commitment like when I was nine that I'm going to play basketball every day that I can play basketball. And if we weren't on a vacation, I was carrying a ball around with me, right. you know, wherever I went to the beach, to anywhere. And just in case a game popped up. Sure. And so I just, I just loved it like that. And I knew nobody had worked any harder. I knew I was up against it physically my freshman year. I didn't know that I, I guess I didn't know that I could really score like that. I, I could score. You could put me on the court and I could score. Um, if you need me to get 15, I get 50. If you need me to get 30, I'll get them. Right. 
you know, you might not like it, <laughs> right? But, but I will uh, get you. Yeah, 30. I'll get you thirty, and that might be forty, and you might like that. <laughs> but you know, I'm I, I can I can score. I really didn't know that 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 was that I was <laughs> that I was that much able that gifted i guess as a scorer right but the part that really helped me was i could pass and i could dribble and i could get it off the board and i could go and i was a decent decision maker at that level and so uh once once we started playing you know i started from the very my first game i think my first game in a kentucky uniform i came off the bench we had an exhibition game against the former yugoslavia and they had, who Drazen was three years older than I was. They had Drazen Petrovic. Oh, wow. They had Tony Kukoc, a young Tony. They had Vladi Divac. And they had Dino Raja. And uh, they I, beat us by two. By two. But that was my first game. I think Drazen got like 30. I had like 18 off the bench. He was a grown man to me at the time. Like I couldn't do anything with him. Um, you know, just, I was 18, he's 22. Right. And he manhandled me and, but that, you know, I knew international player play a little bit and these were grown ups to me. Right. So once I, I did that, I was able to compete with those guys. I was gaining my confidence more and more. And, um, you know, and we really didn't have that year, a go-to guy. So I was kind of having to carry the load offensively, which was pretty hard because, I didn't want to be shooting that much on a team laden with juniors and seniors. Right. So, and, but they were great. My teammates at Kentucky put their arms around me and loved me. Like, I, I mean, really, I think that's what kept me sane at Kentucky. I was just going to yeah. say, you know, that, that kind of connectivity as a freshman, mm -hmm. um, you probably can't, quantify no. what that meant to you on a personal level on a personal aside. level yeah i was first day of practice and my my coach i i've said this publicly so this isn't news my my coach eddie sutton he had a a, a drinking problem when i was he had a, a long drinking problem but he my freshman year he was really out there and um he came he dried out over the summer went to betty ford came back he was terrific my sophomore year but that that stuff was hard and hard to negotiate. He was inconsistent that year, but my teammates were just they were just amazing because. Um, but on the first day of practice, the very first day, of my of my freshman year, you know, I'd struggled through conditioning. I couldn't lift me and my roommate, Reggie Hansen. We could only lift the bar. <laughs> Forty five pounds. And uh, you talk about humiliating. And that was in the day where we're lifting there with the football players, too. Oh, wow. So I struggled through physically. I was just fortunate that, you know, I was able to do it basketball-wise. Yeah. Yeah. SEC. Oh, first day of practice, Eddie Sutton said, he stops practice. It's like a three-on-two, two-on-one. I'm coming back two-on-one. I drove. I passed it. The guy laid it in. He stopped practice. said, that's why he's the best player in here. And I turned around looking like, Who's he talking Who's about? And he was talking about me, and I wanted to run and hide. That's the last thing I wanted anybody to say in front of my teammates. Right. On day one, yeah. I just I thought, well, these guys are gonna fucking hate me now. They didn't. They didn't. They did not. They just loved me more. They, you know, I, 
I just I loved playing with those guys. That, as you know, I mean, a, a very unique yeah. situation yeah. for I mean, because clearly they knew with the recruiting process. Mm -hmm. So there could have local easily, home Kentucky kid, all of that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. There, I, there I could have easily been a wedge even before you stepped on the campus. No question. I, I think that well, really the only thing that carried the day was they saw that I could do it. Right. That that I that I wasn't I think they saw that I wasn't just a, a good player from Kentucky. Right. You know, who had you know, sure, because there's the lots of teams. they've yeah. seen lots of those right. headlines before. Right. Right. Lots of really good basketball players yep. in Kentucky. Highest point, best point at Kentucky, lowest point. Ooh, man. Uh highest point. Uh that's tough. I mean, we 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 you guys were had really, a lot of we were I mean, really good my yeah. sophomore year. It was really us in U of A. Uh, they had Sean Elliott and and Steve Kerr, Tom Tolbert, Kenny Lofton. That squad down there. And I thought we were the two best teams in the in the country that year. <clears throat> they got beat Sweet 16, I think we did. Um the year Danny Manning and those guys won it. Right. Um uh but we won it. We won the SEC outright. I think we lost one game in the SEC. We won the SEC tournament. Um, we were number two seed. That was all magnificent. I okay. So my girlfriend from the time I was like seventeen, from my hometown, and uh, she was our. We're still really good friends. She she's our from my hometown. Her bro older brother, one of my best friends, he was the best player on our football team at UK. Mark Higgs is his name. And their family, very athletic family in Owensboro, Kentucky. Uh, Kenny Higgs, her older brother, played in the NBA, played it in Denver, played at LSU. Mark played, her sisters all played. Sean, my girlfriend, was the state 200 or 100 champion two years in a row in high school. We were the same grade. Well, and Sean's black and uh, black family. We just knew each other from the time we were little, just grew to love one another and, and had a great time. People didn't dig it. Um, got to Kentucky and uh, everything was supposed to be okay where we were supposed to be able to be boyfriend and girlfriend and go out and do things. And I got to campus and right away. Was not the case. No, nah, they didn't like it. And so those two years, I, um, because of that, w were difficult. I also think that's a reason that my teammates rallied around me too, because they know Mark, they right. knew Sean. And um, that was difficult to deal with because it was like this secret that they were keeping. I wasn't keeping it from, but why are you keeping this secret? Right. So that was a really tough time and it was really confusing. And I think it's something that I really struggled with and never dealt with. And it came back to bite me later on. Yeah. Well, I was going to say it just at, uh, at, at that yeah. time, you know, um, you know, mid, mid to late eighties, yeah. uh, mental health was something that was viewed as a stigma like bro let's 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 not talk about that and i started sleeping a lot in college because i couldn't like i was underage i didn't drink 
but I liked going with my buddies to the bars and watch them drink See and them. talk to girls right. and do all that stuff. <laughs> and I would get to all the team, all our teammates, underage or not, could get into bars. And I would go, and they'd say, Rex, if we let you in here, somebody's going to call the cops, and they're going to shut us down. So I had my own key to the arena or Coliseum. I could go back and shoot. You know, I could go back. I could go and go out with my girlfriend, but we weren't probably going to go out anywhere. I could go out with other girls, right? which I did as a bad boyfriend. Um, so it was just a, it was a really, it was a really confusing time uh, where by and large, it, from the outside looking in, people would think, oh man, he's got the world by the tail. Just, I started sleeping a lot thinking I just was just tired. Looking back, I was definitely depressed. And I actually, things could not have been going better on the basketball court. And I woke up one day and had what I now know, I've had like two in my life, was a panic attack. And I couldn't put together what was going on. I just woke my roommate up, said, Reg, I think I need to go to the hospital. I don't feel right. I couldn't like move. I, I was, I, I think what I've, what happened was I had a thought of, I've got the world by the tail here. People think I do, but I'm unhappy. Right. And Almost paralyzed yeah, in your own I'm mind. I'm unhappy yeah. and this is not going to get better. And Reggie called the, the coaches and Dwayne Casey, Dwayne was there and Dwayne was my guy. And I, I probably wouldn't have gone to Kentucky if it weren't for Dwayne. Cause he had recruited me at Western too. And he just took the job when Leonard Hamilton left. So, Dwayne came and got me, he and another assistant, and <laughs> they sh probably should have taken me to the hospital. They took me to uh, Booster's house, who I know, very good man, and uh, they went and picked up Sean. And they took Sean and I out there, and we stayed out on his, his, at his house for a couple days. And I just sort of came out of it, missed a couple days of practice, went back, played i never even thought about that again until like two years ago i didn't remember it nothing really didn't remember it i went back and you know i think it was probably embarrassing but i because i didn't tell anybody right nobody this was not social media they didn't want anybody to know this right you know right <laughs> they they were actually protecting themselves they yeah, i should have been say, at the <laughs> hospital um so I was going through things there, but I don't think I really realized I was. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so. And then I made, you know, I make the USA team as a freshman. And, you know, now I'm playing on that summer with Danny Manning and David Robinson. And I've, I'm starting to realize that, okay, well, I'm, I started, you know, <laughs> pretty good. I, I've averaged, <laughs> I don't know, 13 or 14. And so I, what I knew was now I'm at least these guys are going to play in the NBA next year. There's no doubt. Danny's going to be a number one pick. David was just the number one pick. Um, uh, 10 guys are going to go play in the NBA. I'm starting on the team. I may be able to play in the NBA someday. I still, there was no thought of leaving early. None. Completely None. registered. Yeah. Yeah. Hadn't. People didn't do that. Right. Right. Danny Manning's staying in school four years. Michael Jordan stayed in school three years. Right. You stay in school. <laughs> Isaiah Thomas comes out. Magic, Tom Magic Johnson comes out. 
those kind of guys come out. Right. I just, uh, I, I ended up, uh, I wasn't having a great time at, at playing, playing for Eddie during that time. And just at the end of the day, after my sophomore year, it was, uh, was that as big a factor as, as just being able to like see yourself mm -hmm, performing mm -hmm. on the stage with those guys that I, I wanted to stay. I, I didn't think I was really ready to leave uh, uh, more so emotionally and socially than right. anything else. I was just, you know, I was a kid. And, um, so I didn't, I wanted to stay in school and really I was so at odds with Eddie at the time. The also Denny Crum was the USA coach. I had so this spurned is the guy him. You had, I right. had, and we, I got like 28 or something against them earlier in the year and we blew them out of their own building my freshman year. Few months later, Denny, who I had committed to, spurned. He picked me for the USA team. Plays me all the minutes. I remember a conscious thought when I was thinking about going in the draft. Maybe I don't go in the draft. Maybe I transfer. But this is when you had to sit out for a year. Right. But the only school I would even think about transferring to would have been Louisville. Louisville. Yeah. How do you think that would have gone over? Yeah, you I, think I could you have never lived in Kentucky right. ever again. <laughs> right. <laughs> so I left. Yeah. Well, as it turns out, uh, worked out pretty good for you. June 28th, 1988, draft day. Yeah. Um, had to be one of the, you know, best days of your life. NBA had uh, decided for expansion. Mm -hmm. So Charlotte, Miami on the board. Did you know Charlotte was going no. to pick you? Okay. <laughs> uh, again, I, Eddie didn't. Eddie didn't do me any favors during that process. Once he, I was, once he found well, out, you well, were they leaving. begged me to stay. <clears throat> they, they enticed me to stay. <clears throat> um, and once they did that, I was like, no, this is this right. is dumb. And so, um, I was projected to go third, third, fourth, fifth. Danny Manning, Rick Smiths, and the Clippers, the Clippers, the Sixers, the Warriors needed two guards. And I had just played on the USA team. David Falk, my agent, said, listen, if you don't go to the US Olympic trials, you'll be third. They'll take you third. I said, I'm going to play in the Olympics. And so I went. I got undercut early on and had a hip pointer the entire time mm -hmm. still john thompson and his <clears> staff <throat> kept uh sean elliott and i and we were both banged up and we were the last two cuts and that really hurt it really it was the first time in my life like they what combine that with eddie's i think his intel that he gave to you know the teams at the top right i slid and I didn't, I didn't really know. I didn't care. I, I mean, I, sure, I'd like to go as high as, as whatever. But once, once three, came, well, the clips changed. Now it was going to be the clips traded with uh, the Sixers. They flopped three and six. So now teams that needed two guard are uh, the clips took Charles Smith third. And Hersey Hawkins was on the board 
or I'm sorry, Mitch Richmond's on the board, fifth to Golden State. It's the right call. I had never even heard of Mitch. Had never heard of him ever. Wow. Uh, Hersey, I had heard of. Hersey went sixth to Philly, and that one kind of got me because I really wanted to go to Philly because I loved Charles. I loved sure. grew up watching Doc. Yeah, all those teams. Charles had come out and said he wanted me. He didn't even know me, uh, which I was like. Then when they didn't take me, I was like, shit. Phoenix had the next pick, and they drafted Tim Perry. And so the, these are all the teams I had visited and talked to. Right. So that also tells you how I probably didn't kill the interview process. As a, The, the good question was, is he going to be able to play – help us for the next two years right in the next two years right. and you know answer was probably i probably could have but, but at that time the they, that they needed, that they needed yeah. on a veteran team and i'm gonna am i gonna be able to take coming off the bench and doing all that right. stuff next thing i know charlotte's up i didn't even visit charlotte didn't visit miami uh not david says you're going to charlotte I went, all right great uh, also I'm not even sure I knew Charlotte was in the draft. <laughs> right. Like, well, what yeah. is this? <laughs> and they're a new team. I was drafted by Charlotte. And at that point, I was really just sort of relieved. You know, you're sitting there and yeah, you're I got going, picked. wait, what is, what's going on? Is anybody <clears throat> going to pick me? So then I'm picked. I go to Charlotte. And uh, that actually that next day, uh, I get there. And at my press conference, Del Curry, Sonia, and baby Stefan. It was my first time meeting Stefan. We ended up being next door, two doors down. Stefan's my first little buddy in the league. Um, Dell's one of my best friends to this day. Muggsy, Dell, and I used to ride together. Together, uh, we lived in the same apartment complex. We rode together everywhere. Stefan in the back seat with me a lot of times because seniority. I had to be in the back seat while Muggsy's up front. And the whole time, the little baby in the car seat's better than all of us. We think we're <laughs> big shit playing in the NBA. And we got a baby with a pacifier in his mouth just getting ready to light it up. He was, good. He was just he was sitting there laughing at us. Yeah. So it was a, it was a really Muggsy and Dell, two of my best friends to this day. Right. And it was really a blessing because those guys, Dell taught me how to tie a tie. They, they taught me everything. <laughs> I remember coming in after my first practice and it was payday and uh, it was my first, first check, uh, direct deposit, but that's our stub. Yeah. And I get it. And uh, I was making, uh, I think as the eighth pick, six seventy five a year and I uh, got my first check for 50 grand. And I remember looking and I'm looking at the stub and it's taken out for this. I'm seeing taxes it was like 34 net. And I remember I looked at Dell and Muggsy. And I said, hey, I've heard about the tax returns. When do we get this back? And they went, what? And I said, <laughs> I've heard about the tax returns. When do we get that back each year? And they went, we don't get that back, moron. Are you this dumb? <laughs> yes. Yes, 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 I, I was. Yes, I am. <laughs> I am a naive yes. young man. Uh -huh. Yep. Uh, it, but it's so funny that you, that you say that mm -hmm. and here we are in 2023 and I, and I feel like there are lots of professional athletes and, and kids, probably the NIL yeah. crew yeah. nowadays See, that's a, that, that that's are a great experiencing opportunity. the exact same thing. 
I, I'm actually, you know, there's going to be some positives and negatives to the NIL. I'm for it by and large. Uh, but it, it, it has to start teaching fiscal responsibility at an earlier age. You have to start, look, if you're getting paid for the, by the local, uh, tire store in high school, which you can be now, right? You got to pay taxes on that. You got it. So you're going to have to learn a little bit. And that's a good thing. You know, they should have had all of us taking business courses, taking finance courses, if we could get in, you know, to right. the if we right. could handle the finance <laughs> courses. But yeah, I think, you know, we, we were in an era where you just, they're just pushing you through. And well, you know. look, it, it, it's my biggest rant about the education yeah. system yeah. that hasn't changed in, mm -hmm. you know, archaic teachings of a hundred plus years. Yeah. And you, I mean, like I say, you got high school kids, 2023 getting ready to graduate who have no, no clue as taxes None. as you did yeah. 30 yep. plus years yep. ago. Yep. Um, so when, when did you, so you're mm -hmm. surrounded by these pros, Tim pros, Kempton, pros. Tim yeah. Kempton's there, rookie, my rookie year. Tim's my vet, right. Kelly Trapuca, Kurt <laughs> Rambis, Ricky Green. I mean, these guys, Kurt had a son that was almost my age. So I, I was, I, I was in deep <laughs> You're water. You're truly the pop. And they were, most of these people, Dell, Muggs, 10 of our, 10 of our guys were married with kids. The only, the only person that wasn't married was Tom Tolbert. He was a fellow rookie, but Tom was a couple years older. Right. And we kind of did everything. When those guys had family time, Tom and I hung out together. So that was good. I had a good, I had a, I had a pretty good support system in Charlotte, better than I did in, at Kentucky. Right. And, and blessings in the sense that Charlotte made the decision as an expansion team to go get vets. They did. To try to win quicker. Yeah. Than Miami did. Than Miami yeah, did. Right. And Miami by the way, the we won 21 <laughs> games that year. They only won like 15. So right. yeah. <laughs> really, really made we blew them out of the water. And for real, like that, that was our championship game every year for like two or three years. Right. The Miami Heat. When did you, and especially having those particular vets around you, mm -hmm. when did you all kind of have that aha moment organizationally with Charlotte? Like, wow, that, and, and maybe in looking at other mm -hmm. pro teams, the way they were being run, when, when did that kind of resonate with you? Like what? Like in what way? Well, in just what in way? terms of... Um, how they cared for players, maybe oh. maybe things that oh. in, in terms of travel, the, okay. the amenities that, that your locker room had or didn't have. Yeah. So we didn't have a practice facility, but this was the <clears throat> this was the 80s and few you know, teams, few did. teams did. Right around that time, the money was changing. For instance, I was the eighth pick in 88 and made 675. Two years later, the eighth pick made a million and a half dollars. So it had doubled, even more than doubled right. uh, in two years. So now the TV money. the And right about that time, the Pistons got their own plane. And everybody went, you can do that? Right. They have that much money? And so for years, you know, Charlotte, we took, we chartered commercial planes. You know, everybody had four rows to themselves. It was just, but... You could also tell the teams that really invested in their players. Right. You started. I started hearing, you know, well, they don't do it that way in Salt Lake City. They don't do it that. They didn't do this. So you start to learn there are sort of haves and have-nots, and we were sort of a have-not. We didn't have a lot of money, you know. I think 
Uh, Matt Ishby bought the team, Suns team, for $4 billion not long ago. George Shin and Miami's owner, Mickey Harrison, mm -hmm. they, uh, they bought in in 1988, franchise, uh, new franchise, $32 million. Wow. <laughs> Pretty good return million. on investment for Mickey <laughs> these days. My God. My God. Now you got players making yeah. $32 million a Easy. year. Easy. Some of them not even great players. <laughs> <laughs> and he can say that. Because <laughs> he played in the league. <laughs> well, so you get into this NBA world. Mm -hmm. You have some success. Yeah. When, when did the first injuries mm. happen with you? And, and that would begin kind of mm -hmm. a... A different kind of catalyst for yeah. you in your life. I just couldn't stay healthy. And I, I think looking back, I do think a lot of it was I, I didn't sleep very well. I, I'd never slept uh, more than three or four hours a night straight. And then I'd get up and then my mind was always racing. Once sleep aids came in later on, I fared better. But still, you know, it was Ambien and you can take too much Ambien. And, you know, so I didn't sleep real well. I think I was stressed <clears throat> a lot not really knowing why right and that stuff probably led to me being hurt you know getting being more predisposed to injury i had gotten undercut in college once and broken my broken a bone in my back and missed a game it was a non-weight bearing bone but my rookie year i got into camp and i guess i hadn't really rehabbed that well enough and missed like five games early on my rookie year which was probably good because i was kind of bad i didn't know what i was doing athletic but right you know couldn't really play uh playing on a bad team playing more minutes than probably i should have been playing but by a month six weeks two months and i had i had the hang of it we were getting beat a lot right but i was getting good reps i was getting better i was starting to you know i'm playing against Rolando Blackman and guys that are 10, year, 10 years older, 12 years older. Um, but I'm, you know, the second time I'm seeing these guys, I'm getting more confidence. Uh, you know, I go play the, the Pistons and guys like Joe Dumars and Isaiah Thomas and, and, uh, Rick Mahorn are weirdly putting their arms around me. Like you're going to be, you're going to be okay. You're going to be all right. Yeah. And I got that everywhere I went around the league, everybody did that with me. And I don't really know why, because I was just, you know, I just played at Kentucky. I came up, I came through and for whatever reason, uh, guys really loved me up and I needed it. Maybe they saw I needed it. Right. Well, and, and, you know, like high school and, and then college, your teammates there, oddly enough, because I, I have to imagine that the first time in your life you're experiencing success, but it's not translating to wins. It's not translating into wins, but also it's the first time I'm starting to see like, I, I'm a top three player in high school. I'm a top five or 10 player in college. And, but two, three years in, you know, I'm seeing guys who weren't that. Kevin Johnson, Mark Price, later on, Steve Nash. These guys who, you know, if I 
my trajectory, yeah. I, I personally, and these guys are doing it. And so now I'm like, all right, well, you got to go to work. You got to find your niche, find your groove. And learning to accept that I wasn't that. Right. I knew I could be that. I could never stay healthy enough. I, right. I don't think I ever played like 100 games in a row. Right. I'd get 60. I'd miss <clears throat> 30. And it's rehab. It's come back. I'm rusty. It's I just couldn't sustain health. When was the first time in, in dealing with an injury that you had that conversation mm. with a doctor and the first prescription Oof. came? So um, I, I, was, I was pretty fortunate to not have many major injuries. I did have an ankle that I dislocated in a game uh, out of the skin, out of the tape, cut the shoe off, mm. all of that. Uh, and that, you know, I still have issues with that, but I, I started just, I had broken hand, wrists, fingers, um, shin. My last three years of playing, I had seven surgeries. And so I was very, um, I didn't drink. I wasn't a drinker, uh, wasn't a smoker, not a drug guy. And I, I'd had pain medicine before, but it had been post, uh, you know, acute injury. And I didn't like it. I didn't like it mainly because I wanted to get back and play as quick as I could. Sure. And if I don't know exactly how that's feeling, I, I, there's no chance. You know, I need to know. So I would do, a, I would get rid of the pain medicine. Fast forward, um, my last year playing so it's uh my 12th year and uh i, I really haven't been good i i had um dislocated my thumb in the preseason i'd torn the tendons i was gonna have to get it fused at the end of the year i kind of felt like it's this could be my last year i was still under contract for three or four more years though and jerry and those guys knew that that i was kind of breaking down a little bit but um we're on a road trip to Vancouver uh, and play in Vancouver, fly to Golden State the next night. We're at our hotel in San Francisco and my stomach starts hurting. And uh, I go to Prosky, our trainer, and Prosk says, oh, you might have an appendicitis. Let's get you to the hospital. So I go to the hospital. They said, yep, it's about to rupture. Let's get you in there. They got me in, got appendicitis. Team played the game. I met them at the plane. I flew back to Phoenix. I got off the plane and... Um, a doctor gave me a prescription for Oxycontin and said, here, it's brand new. Take this. You're fine. You'll be great. I took it. I wasn't going to be able to play the rest of the season. This was right at the end of the season. So okay. unless I had come back for the second round of the playoffs and we were probably getting beat by the Lakers in the first round, right? which we did. And so um, I wasn't going to play anymore. I took that medication and in, 24 to 48 hours i knew it was the best thing i'd ever had in my life i loved it i loved it i felt like it made me smarter funnier better dad better husband yeah mind the, you you're, you're the, married and yeah four kids four kids at the time. and and my my ex-wife is fantastic she's she's amazing um but she was living with a crazy person you sure. know and so um i 
I lost all interest in anything else, you know, really golf, friends. Before long, all I wanted was that medicine. Just that feeling. That, yeah. And, you know, the Oxycontin's a time release thing and all the all the all the depression, all the the bad thoughts and all that. The way I describe it, it's, it's kind of the, it'll be all right, drug. It, they're fleeting thoughts. All the good ones seem to hang around a little longer. You're high. It's yeah. synthetic morphine. And it, it. You're able to take those and put them over here and. Yeah. While the, but while slowly your life's deteriorating, right. all your decisions. Danny Ainge came to me about a year and a half after uh, I had decided to quit playing. I was living here. And he came to me and said, Rex, you're really messing up. You're messing up your family, your life, everything. And Danny's somebody I really respect. Right. And uh, when he said that, he said, you need to go to rehab. And, I, you know, I, I at this point, I'm still, I'm fresh out. I've never drank. I've never been in trouble or nothing. I'm not a drug addict. Yeah, That's what I'm telling you. Rehab is only for what? For addicts. Right. I reluctantly went. And I needed to because I needed I needed to get off that Oxycontin. And I went there and I did get off the Oxycontin. And I never got back on the Oxycontin. But I did get back on the Vicodin. You know, six months later, I had a pit in my stomach after a year and a half. Of, I, also, when I went, I was taking like 40 Vicodin a day and about 10 Oxycontin a day. And it would just kill you if, you, if wow. I did that now. I'd just <laughs> die right here. But I'd built my tolerance up. Um, it's a wonder I didn't die. And when I got in, they said, um, I heard two of the nurses, a shift change was going on. They said, what's he in for? And I heard one of them say, it's another Oxycontin. We're just starting to get those in. She went, really? What's that? What's that, uh, withdrawal? Like she said, seven days of hell, just like heroin. And I, when I heard that, I, I went heroin. They had to snap you, you into talk? a hole. I, yeah, Oxycontin. We, nobody even put that together yet. Right. You know, that that's what this is. And so when I got off of that, I was really relieved because the drug is too good. It's too good for appendicitis. Come on. Um, but when I got off of that, it, it, I never went back on. Six months later, I had a wrist surgery to have a screw taken out of my wrist. Should have told the doctor, I don't need pain medicine. Didn't tell the doctor. I had this pain in my stomach that I felt like was withdrawal for la the last six months. I took the Vicodin, went away, went away. I'm back on the Vicodin, and that kind of went on. I in and out of rehab three times. Um, the last time, finally, when I got in trouble here, arrested in Scottsdale for shoplifting. Yeah, September 2000. Oh, thanks Four, for the date. 14. Thanks for the date, Kevin. <laughs> no, it, 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 when I say it, each time I would just want to cry. I just sure. want to bawl. Sure. I did that. I did that. Do, you, do and, you remember that day? I mean, do you, like, any kind I, of... You know, to be honest, I think there were multiple days. Yeah. So, I don't. To, I mean... To be able to yeah, crystallize yeah. the one. I just, yeah. I just know... I was, well, I been through a divorce. Um, I, I'm a lifelong horse player, gambler. And I mean, big money. And, uh, and you know, that 
for some time that bled over into Vegas and blackjack. And so I was doing everything running from myself, you know, right. whether it was, you know, playing golf for every day for being gone every day for a month or whatever. I just would trade almost trade things, trade right. addictions. Yeah. Um, so at that point I, I, I was arrested. I'm in trouble. I'm at rock bottom and buddy, uh, says, listen, man, you, you really need to go back to rehab. And I needed to go for myself. I also needed to go legally. I needed to, you know, I had, I had felonies and right. So, uh, I go to rehab and, uh, uh I'm in rehab. I go in Kentucky and it was the best thing for me. And I was there 30 days and I'll never forget Rick Patino, one of my good friends, Rick came to see me and Rick's been through his share of stuff. Rick came to see me and I was fresh out of detox and I was just a crying blubbering mess. And I'm just telling him I'm toxic. Nobody's ever going to want to talk to me or, you know, anything. And he's, he told me, he said, Rex, look at me. He said, look, you're going to eat a lot of shit for a while. He said, and initially that, that shit's going to be the size, going to be like the size of a beach ball. He right. said, and if you keep doing the next right thing, that, that ball of shit is going to be the size of a basketball next and then a volleyball and then a softball and then a baseball and then wow. a ping pong ball and then a pebble, a marble, and then a pebble to where when people see you, that won't be the first thing they think of. And I didn't believe it for a fucking second. A pity party, all of that. And all the natural slowly, but surely he's right. John Lucas came to see me and said, Rex, you need to come stay with me. I'd sent players to John over the years and you need to come stay with me after you leave here. And I said, for how long? My daughters are here. I want to get back. You know, he said, he said, long as you need to be. Right. I was there for like three months living in like a clean living house with other people learning, right. learning how to live again to learn the value of a dollar, which I may have never known. Um, how to fend for myself, how to live without every time something goes wrong, not, and that's the hardest part because right. that's, you know, you're self-medicating and once you learn to do that, it's, it's tough to unlearn. Well, and, and, you know, you're dealing with it, but I'm sure as a father, oh man, you know, you're, you're also Dude, dealing with the guilt and shame and all of it. Yeah. Zeke, yeah. my son came and picked me up from jail downtown. And, uh, I had, I had been in jail for a day, um, which meant I hadn't had the medicine that's in my wallet right. all with me all the time for a day. And also I'm still, I'm, I'm, I, I somehow I'm rationalizing that I'm not, and I'm taking this medicine for arthritis and yeah, for good reasons. Yeah. 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 Um, so it, it was, it was just, and Zeke came to pick the, Oh, it's just one of the worst thoughts. Cause Zeke came to pick me up and he, at the time he'd have been 20, 22. And, uh, he gets out of the car and, and comes to hug me and he's bawling, crying. And I have nothing for him. I got nothing. Yeah. I 
I can't cry. I need to be consoling him, and I got nothing for him. And, you know, within, I get back home, take my medicine. Of course, I try to console him then, but it's, yeah. it's past the point. I, I'm just lost, and I need to go away. And I got to rehab, and my roommate from college, one of them, Paul Andrews, is running the, the facility. And so he's got me in there. He's taking good care of me. But I remember getting to rehab. I checked into rehab. I never played basketball more than 190. I was 266 pounds and didn't care about anything. Right. I got into rehab. I sat there. I got in my room. There's no TV. It's old college dorm is what it looks like. No TV, no phone, no nothing. Got in the room and I went, this is where I need to be. I laid on the bed, like, and I'm broken, but I knew it had to start right there. And fortunately, this time around, I listened. I learned why I was doing these things, or tried to, and a lot of therapy and ongoing therapy for years after to this day. So that was kind of the beginning of digging out. And, uh, you know, I dug out a little bit. I started getting some opportunities here and there to do some radio, TV stuff basketball stuff and um yeah slowly but surely started picking up the pieces before we get out of here i, I yeah. have to ask blocker charge yeah it it mushroomed into this phenomenon and i, I know that that people had called you an influencer and you kind of <laughs> shrugged and laughed at you know yeah. influencer right. are, are you kidding me but but how blocker charge became this oh, yeah. platform right. of positivity of of other people because you were you were very candid and raw right. in kind of sharing why you started doing the blocker charge because idle minds yeah right right you know yeah can no question create bad results yeah and and how you were able to turn that into this this message of of positivity and and you know i came across this quote if you want to lift yourself up lift up someone else from booker t washington yeah and, you, and it felt a like good, in, a, in a roundabout way that's what you were doing for other people you know that's it's really that's really nice but also i i remember being around my buddies people would come up to me in public be like the twitter guy and you're so positive and i'm not <laughs> i'm not i'm trying to fool myself every day there's a lot of terrible shit out there. And, but what I started understanding was that if I put that stuff out, you know, if I found a good video of somebody doing something nice for someone else, <clears throat> people love that stuff. And I'm trying to fool myself through the day, you know, trying to not look at all the bad shit out there. And if you can take your mind off of it for just a minute, and then you, on top of that, you feel like, okay, well, you're giving some other people, maybe they're having a tough day. Because you know what it's like to have a tough day, right. even when things are going well. Um, it just felt like, um, I don't know, it felt like it, it was something nice. And it, it, it was something that helped me get through the day. And if it was helping other people, then that's a good byproduct. Yeah. Jumping back real quickly, your, your years here with the Suns, yeah. you, you forged a quick relationship with the fans and it felt like, and maybe it's just me trying to convince mm -hmm. myself because of because of our friendship, mm -hmm. but but working back then, 
but it felt like there at the end of your career that it was it was a time that you had real joy in playing the game again. Oh yeah. No and question. You brought such joy to the Suns fans with that playoff series against Seattle. And and I know to this day you walk through the arena. Yeah. And longtime Suns fans remember that. No question. I'm so fortunate. And I don't I guess a little breaking news. I'm back with the Suns doing some personnel stuff. My son's uh makes us all very son's happy, basketball ambassador and pro personnel analyst. So I'm not a decision maker. I'm just doing what I like to do and very feel very fortunate. And I believe this means that I've worked for every owner for the Phoenix Suns. Is that right? That would be correct. That would be correct. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm just, I'm thrilled. Matt Ishby has been great. James Jones and Josh Bartlesine, they're doing amazing stuff with the Suns. I'm just uh, thrilled to be a very small part of it. And I know that I've, I think uh, the ambassador thing is pretty cool because I was once the youngest player in the league, and I've been through a lot basketball-wise. And if our players are around and they see me and they have any sort of question about anything, that's what I'm here for. And if I'm here to, to just be a cautionary tale, then that's what I'll be right. because these guys need it. And I don't want – you know, if I can help anybody av- avoid some of the stuff that I've, uh, that I've, I've hit, then – I need to be doing that. Right. Yeah. yeah. That iconic playoff shot, 4.3 seconds left against the Sonics, is yeah. one that will forever be burned in in, in my memory banks and, and those of the Suns. But I think as you've heard here today, um, with everything that Rex has shared with us, uh, a lot, lot more than that. Before we go, yeah. one of the things that I like to do here on the show is we have a segment called Pay It Forward. Okay. And it's an opportunity for our guests to share charities, causes, initiatives that are important to them so that we, Mm -hmm. our viewing and listening audience, can maybe find out and identify, you know, could be something that's important to them as well. So what what, what are the causes, charities, initiatives out there that that you'd like to promote? Man, I've got a soft spot for um, my, my... I'm, I'm going to brag on my daughter, daughters for a bit. So my oldest daughter, Kaylee, uh, she got her um, master's in autism disorders. And she's got her own program at a school here locally. My ex-wife uh, teaches there as well. Um, but they're educators. And, um, you know, we, we actually know many people who are on the spectrum. And, you know, it was not something when I was a kid all these, and I was I I was a, a, a bouncing all over the walls kid, and for a lot of us, they just kind of we were sort of labeled bad kids, right? And and they didn't really understand. And I just think about so many of the classmates that I that I had that that had you know some social issues and stuff that you know we weren't sensitive sensitive enough with. And I think now as we're getting to this age of where it's okay to discuss mental health and depression and I don't feel right and articulating those things out loud. Right. I just think, you know, being more sensitive to people's struggles, you never, even if you're, it's, I, I do it, I generalize a lot. Oh, those people. And the, no, not those people. Hey, we're all guilty of it. If, I mean, 
you never know what another person, why they believe or think the way they do until you sit and talk to that person. And I think that's what we're kind of losing these days. So the more, more conversation we can have open and honest without judging one another, I think is the best for all of us. And, um, you know, I, I just think we, we're living in a pretty toxic time where it's okay to be mean and nasty and say things to get a reaction. And that's no way to live. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I can't thank you enough for oh, man. Thanks for having me. sharing your time and the the real raw yeah. background of of it's Rick not, Chapman. Thank you. I, you'll notice I didn't put this down the second that, and really true when I got when I started coming out of rehab and uh, people started asking me to go speak. Um they had a ball on the stage and I picked it up and I did this and I started going places with the ball and carrying it while I talked and telling the story. And for whatever reason, it gives me comfort. I'm able to, you know, I may have cried if I didn't have the ball, like for real. Right. So thanks for the ball. So <laughs> <laughs> we're here for, yeah, man. Thanks, that is what Breakthrough Chronicles <laughs> is all a part of. Uh, I couldn't think of a better guest for us to introduce Breakthrough Chronicles here as we forge a new alliance with the wonderful people here at PHNX. I uh, can't thank them enough. I've started Jacob. seeing them online now. <clears throat> I, if I see them on Twitter, I know they're starting to do stuff. <laughs> <laughs> they are blowing up. Yes, they are. Uh, thank you to Jacob, Saul, the whole crew here. And thank you, my man. You got it, bud. Always looking forward to, to this you. year. Absolutely looking forward to it. Go, son. You'll see lots more of this guy. And we look forward to seeing lots more of you here on Breakthrough Chronicles.